Hello, and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed, or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. And if you're new, I apologize. I apologize. I'm a huge college basketball fan, been a huge Razorback basketball fan for some time. It's just kind of I would say it's expected, but that makes it sound like that that's something that I don't, I, it's not internally motivated by me. Expected after a big win, that, you know, red pants, red shoes, kind of the thing. People, some people have been around a while, a little disappointed, like they wanted some next level. I mean, you gotta, I mean, we've been to Sweet 16 a couple times already. This is Sweet 16 outfit. Just hope for two more wins and we'll just see what happens next Sunday, Final Four uh, coming up. All right, let's change that. I could talk about this more than I should. Let's transition to more important things. Hey, Easter's coming up in a few weeks, April 9th. And I just want to make sure that we're just kind of kind of getting ourselves ready for that. We're having three services, 8, 30, 10, and 11, 30. Because there's going to be a lot of people that come. I mean, there's just going to be, I mean, we got a lot of people that are connected to the Grove. Uh, even just kind of loosely. And this is kind of their one time to come. We have a lot of new people to come. And I mean, this is kind of thing. Like some churches can get can get a little snarky maybe even about people who only come at Christmas and Easter. I just want you to know that that's the opposite of who we are. Uh, I, I get really excited about the idea of us having the opportunity to share the gospel and to bring the, the love of Jesus to people like the, that, that don't get the opportunity any other time of the year. It's, it's a great opportunity. And so I just already want you to just be mindful of that. Just be thinking about the people in your life whether they're, you know, there are probably some people you know that are just kind of loosely connected to the Grove, but you don't see very much. Take some responsibility. Maybe just try, hey, you're going to be there on Easter. We'd love to see you. Or maybe just people in your life that are, that are disconnected from God and church altogether. So maybe just go ahead and think about that. Because again, you're going to get a higher percentage of people wanting to, willing and wanting to come with you to worship. And we consider, again, as a church, a, an incredible privilege to be able to love and serve people on that day. So that's April 9th, three services. And as always, just want to be mindful that middle service is going to be the, the packed service. So unless you're serving in one of the other two or you're bringing somebody with you, I'd encourage you to try to, you know, to, to avoid the 10. There'll be a lot of people there at that. And so uh, try to come to the 830 or the 1130. We'll have kids, our Grove kids, um, all the way through uh, all three services. We'll have Roots, our youth, in the first two, 8.30 and 10. So be aware of that. And because we're doing multiple services and because there's going to be more kids and more people here, we're going to need more people to serve. And so go ahead and put that bug in your ear as well that we're, we're going we're gonna to need some help. We'll probably have a, a more formal kind of way for you to sign up for that. But just want you to be thinking about ways that maybe you could help serve that day, which then would make Easter for, for most of us then kind of a two-service experience to serve one and worship one, uh, which is just a great, it was just a great way to celebrate Easter to not only just kind of be celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus together, but then to also to take the time and the talents that God has given you 
to empower and serve others to allow them to have that same experience. So we'll be talking more about that as it gets closer, but just kind of want that to be in your brain. So we're in a series leading up to Easter. We're kind of also kind of getting spiritually prepared for it. We've been going, we're going slowly through different sections of the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish people who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And it would seem, based on what the author is saying to them, that they are struggling to, and they're kind of kind of getting pulled back into a lot of the ritualism of their, the religious part of their Jewishness and just kind of beginning to move away from an understanding of what Jesus Christ did for them and moving back to this idea that their position with God is based on kind of ritualistic following of rules and these kinds of things. And so the author's trying to help them because in the process of doing that, they start to minimize who Jesus is and what he did. And last week we looked at that and talked about, you know, he, the author just kind of starts off talking about how incredible Jesus is, that he is fully God and there is no diminishing of Jesus or what he's done. And then we find out that again, that they're kind of being pulled in this other direction. And ultimately you're going to, we'll see today that the, his assessment of them is that they're stuck. They're just stuck. And I've been thinking about this all week, getting ready for this. And it just, this story came to my mind and it involves, again, I don't want us to get distracted by this detail. Um, but for our 20th anniversary, my wife and I, uh, we went to Las Vegas for the first time. And we are not gamblers. We're not partiers. What we do is we like food and really nice hotel rooms for cheap. And it is just a great place for that. So we go there on our 20th anniversary. And we also like going places where you don't, you don't have to get a car. We, I'm, not, I'm not trying to go to some city. I'm not trying to go somewhere and drive. Like I like just every, everything's just kind of right there, right? And so we were, this first time we went, we were just kind of walking everywhere we needed to go. And just kind of, it was, you know, we enjoyed that. And this one night, it was, I think it was our last night there. So we'd done a lot of walking already. We kind of had a big, nice dinner. So we're going to go to this nice dinner and then go see the show. So we were dressed up. And this is an important part of the story. My wife is wearing really nice but uncomfortable shoes. And so we're walking. We're having a great time. We go to, the, we go to dinner. It's great. We go to the show. It's great. And we're walking back. And there's a hotel next to ours. It has this big indoor mall in it. And we're probably maybe 100 yards from our hotel, the elevator being up there. And, and we get there, and suddenly she just, she just stops. And she sits down on this bench and says, I need you to get me some water. I'm thinking, my, my heart, I, I wish I was 25 in this story because my first, my, some of my reactions were kind of like, mm. I was like, I'm thinking to myself, like the hotel, it's just, it's, just, it's just right there. It's water that we can, we're almost, I mean, we've been, we're almost there. And she just sits, she's like, I need water. I'm like, Okay, so I go, I get her, I go to this water and we sit down with her. She's, she's got her shoes in her hand and she's just sitting there and I'm sitting there next to her. It's like, okay, she takes a few sips of this water and I do the thing, it's kind of a social cue. I'm sitting there next to her, sitting next to her and I just kind of stand up. I'm like, well, like, like we're going. I mean, she, I mean she, didn't, she didn't move, she didn't move. Five minutes, so I sit back down. Five minutes later, trying to get in 10 minutes, 15, 20, 25. 30 minutes, 30 minutes. We're just sitting there. We're just sitting there on this bench. And my brain is like, what do I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Am I, am I going to have to carry her? Do we live here now? Like, I, like, I, like I'm legit. I mean, like she, she I mean, and I'm looking at her face and she's, and she's just like, 45 minutes later, 
We, we finally get up. And I'm just like, what? I mean, like, I, I, honest, I mean, honestly, just like, panic is too strong of a word. But I was just like, I mean, I'm thinking something's really wrong. Because she was stuck. We, were, she wasn't, we, weren't, we weren't going anywhere. And, and I remember that feeling. I remember that feeling of just kind of, of, of the anxiety and the fear of just kind of, we're, so cl- we're, we're, we're not where we're supposed to be. And we're stuck here. And I, and I don't know how to get out. And I think we've all felt that, maybe not in the most literal sense of that, but just being in a place personally where you don't want to be. You have an idea about what you want to do. You've made some bad decisions that maybe are hurting you being able to get there. And now here you are stuck, not knowing where to go next. In fact, I've been thinking about this a lot just in my own life and in the lives of a lot of you and just kind of in our church and our world in general. And Mark, our executive pastor and I, we refer to it as the COVID sludge. That we, we had, you know, the weirdness of that first year, first two years. And then one day we decided it was all normal and we were going to go back to normal, but none of us went back to normal. None of us, I mean, we're, 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 a lot of us are stuck. A lot of us picked up a bad habit and we can't shake it now. A lot of us dropped some good habits and we can't get back. A lot of us have kind of become, you know, it's kind of, we've normalized a lot of fear and anxiety, a lot of anger, a lot more anger and anxiety in the world right now. And I think a lot of us can identify with that. And we just find ourselves right now in 2023 where we never would have imagined ourselves to be just kind of personally three years ago, four years ago. And if we were just gonna take an honest assessment of what's going on in our hearts and lives, stuck, probably be a word that we would use. Anxious, afraid, uncertain. And this is how the author is going to describe um, the people that he's writing to, the Hebrews. This is how he's gonna describe them. He's gonna describe them as stuck. And, 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 and they need, and again, the, the, the name of this series, A Better Hope, what we're hoping for. Like they, they, they are putting their hope in one thing and he is desperately trying to get them. You're stuck because you've misplaced your hope. You've stuck because you've misplaced where life is and it, I need you to understand where the greater, better hope is. So we're gonna be in Ephesians 5, the very end of Ephesians 5 and into Hebrews chapter 6. And just to kind of let you know, I mean, he's, it's very clear that the author is frustrated. And he's going to say some things that are pretty strong, pretty harsh. Um, that they, the Frustration with them to where they are versus where that they should be. Uh, but he's going to come around at the end, I think, with just a lot more encouragement. But he starts off here um, in verse, uh, verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 5. We have much to say about this. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. 
Now, it's a very complicated, but I think a very powerful metaphor that the author is using here to describe the situation that they're in. But essentially, what he's saying is that they're just kind of stuck. And the big picture is this. What he's saying to them is you shouldn't stay where you are. You shouldn't stay where, where you are. This is, this, is not, this, this is not your final destination. You're stuck here, and you need to keep going. And you can tell, you can tell it's frustrating. He's like, I've got a lot of things that I wish I could say to you. I got the things I want to tell you, but I can't even say them to you because you're not even, it's not that you don't understand. It's like you've given up trying to understand. He says, you're like babies. You're like babies who can only take milk. Even though you've been alive long enough, you should, want, you should have milk and solid food. But right now, it's just milk. And I have, people just have to keep explaining to you the very basic things you need to survive. And because you keep forgetting, because you keep drifting away from that, we have to keep coming back to the basic truths and we can't ever build on that. So the basic truths of what you need to understand, you're not getting this, we keep having to re-explain. So how can I take this new stuff and, and build on top of it? So for them, it was like this, right? The basic truth is the gospel. And he's not suggesting here the milk, the basic truths of the gospel, is something you ever move past. You don't give up milk when you get older. You add to it. You build on top of that. But he's like, I keep, we keep having to explain to you that your position in Jesus in, with God is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a gracious gift that God has given you that you can be forgiven and have life with God because of what his son Jesus did. And they're drifting away from that, thinking that, well, I mean, sure, 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 but I've got to follow all these rituals. I've got to do these sacrifices. I've got to worship in this way at this time and follow all of these rules. And then I do all these rules, and that's how I get right with God. It's like, no, that's not it. It is not what you do. It is what Jesus did. Yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. And then, but I've got to also follow all these rules. No, 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 it's not about the rules. It's about what Jesus did. And he's like... It's frustrating that we can't not get past that, but let that be the solid foundation of your life and then build on that what he calls the teachings of righteousness. Like then how you really can get better. You're not ever going to be able to get better if you can't really solidify in your heart the idea that your position with Jesus Christ is stable because of what he did on the cross. And we see that with them and kind of drifting towards kind of Jewish ritualism. But I see it all the time in, in, in all of us. If I were to ask you, tell me about your position with God. Are you and God good right now? Would your answer be, of course, because of Jesus or would you start talking about, well, you know, man, I'm not coming to church as much as I should. I know that. And probably not giving as much as I should. I'm not doing all the right. I mean, I kind of get angry a lot. I mean, like, I mean, I don't, like start describing whether or not you're performing the rituals or not. Whether or not you're doing the right things. And, and thinking about the status of your relationship with God based on what you do. Like, man, God and I are good. I'm trusting in Jesus, and here are the things that he's helping me work on. But most of us think about our, our, our relationship with God based strictly on what we do. 
And because of that, God's not able to kind of build on the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus and build onto us the strength, the power, the freedom, the life that we need to kind of overcome the things that are holding us back and have us stuck. But in addition to kind of that, or just kind of people who are like, man, they're stuck because I just can't really genuinely believe. I can't genuinely believe that God would forgive me. We also have our own version of Christian ritualists. How are you doing in your relationship? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I do this. I do this. I give. I do. I serve. I go. I do all the things. And you can have a life that looks like maturity because you're doing all the right things. But then you think that your position and your relationship with God is based on what you do. And what the author is desperately trying to get them to understand is that your relationship with God is not built on what you do. It is built on what Jesus did. And once I understand the freedom and the forgiveness that Jesus gives me through the cross, I build on top of that the righteous life that God wants me to have. But, but, but they don't seem to get it. And because of that, they're stuck. And then we get stuck. Because if I think that my position with God is based on what I do, as soon as something really bad creeps into my life, as soon as a sin uh, that, that, that I'm not overcoming or a new sin of some sort enters into my life, my, my, I, I become completely and totally undone and devastated because God hates me and he's mad at me and, 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 and people don't want to be around me and God's really disappointed in me. And then that just, it just, it's, it becomes just, that, that, that sort of thinking becomes like a death spiral, like a car that's stuck in the mud that can't just, just keep spinning because I just think about me doing something wrong or not doing something right is gonna have me stuck forever. And so then we switch over then to our own version of legalism. Now I just, ha I just have to do all the things right. But what the author here is desperate for us to believe and what I'm desperate for you to believe is to understand that the foundational principle of your relationship with God is that your position with him is absolutely secure. Not based on anything that you did are doing or going to do. But based on Jesus Christ's death on the cross for you to give you this relationship with God. So what he's going to do in the next few verses, which we're just going to skip over for now and come back to, he's going to kind of give the solution to that, but then he's going to bring up another problem and then give the same solution again. So we're going to save the solution for the end in both of those passages and skip ahead to this other problem he's talking about. He said, because we start with, again, you shouldn't stay where you are. Um, but he's also, he's frustrated with them for how they think that they're going to try to fix it. And he describes it this way. And again, this is a pretty powerful strong, strong words that he's using here in verse four, Hebrews chapter six. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. 
But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. So he uses very, very strong language there. And he's describing people, it says, that have tasted God, that have experienced the Holy Spirit, who have had the heavenly gift, shared in the Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the future, and then fall away. He says, if you've been that person and then you fall away, he says, it's impossible for you to be brought back to repentance. Which is a shocking thing, and this passage is very confusing for a lot of people, fairly controversial, and I feel like it's used and manipulated in a lot of ways that does a lot of damage. And as such, there's kind of, because there are some kind of really varying kind of strong interpretations of this, I feel this need to kind of walk a really good balance here to make sure that you fully understand what I'm saying and what he's saying, because... If, if you take it one of these other two ways, you can, end up, you, can, you can end up in a bad way. But I think the power of what he has to say here is really strong. And we'll start with that and then I'll explain it. Because essentially what he's saying here is you can't go back. You can't go back. We already said you shouldn't. You shouldn't stay where you are. But you can't. You can't go back. Again, so we've got this person. They've experienced all of these things from God and then fallen away. And it says you can't be turned back to repentance. So some people use that to say, what he's talking about here is that you can lose your salvation. Some people will say that, that you can, that you, if, if you do all of these things, but then fall away from God, you're done for. You can't be brought back. Now, I just want to point out, again, this isn't necessarily a theological argument. I've got a theological argument. Just read Romans 8, okay? But the, the, there's a logic argument here, Right? This is a really, really, really long letter that this author has written to try to get them out of this hole that they've dug for themselves. And for him to look at them and say, to go through all of this, to write thousands of words, just basically to say, well, well, actually, you guys, if you've fallen away, there's no hope for you anyway. Sorry. And that's a shorter book, isn't it? This is a shorter book. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Too bad. Sincerely, I mean, like, like there's, there's nothing I can do. You have fallen away. There's nothing I can do for you. In fact, there's nothing that can be done for you. Sorry. That's not, that's not what he's saying because the very next verse is him giving a very optimistic assessment about what their future can be. So he's not talking about that, which has led some people to say, well, then he's talking about a completely different group of people, right? He's not talking about Christians who have... Who have, who have experienced all of these things and fall away. What he's talking about are people who aren't Christians yet, who are people who are almost Christians. People who kind of get to that point. It's like, I, 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 I get a taste of it. I understand it. I hear the word of God. But they fall, they fall away. And basically saying, essentially, hey, there's, there's, there's no way back for them. Which, again, that doesn't make any sense. In the first... And, in every other part of this book, he's talking specifically to them about them. And with them with no transition at all, he says, actually, I'm just, now I'm just going to randomly bring up some other people that aren't involved in this situation at all, just for a hypothetical theological conversation. It doesn't make any sense. He's talking to them about them. So he's describing something specific about them. This, this is what you've done. You've experienced all of this, and now you're over here. And basically what he's saying is, it is impossible. Once you have gotten, you started here, you've gotten to here, it is impossible for you to go back here. You cannot start over. 
You want to go back to that day, that moment one where I received Jesus Christ and and I and I'm, I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm remade, I'm redone, and my my slate is wiped clean, and I can now I can I can just start over. You can't start over. You can't start over. It's that's not possible. You don't get, you, there's, there's no redos in life and there's no redos in your spiritual life in that sense. Again, I'll come back because I don't want you to hear me say more than that. Basically, I'll do it like this. I'm, standing, I'm, sta- I'm sitting there on this bench with my wife and we're 30 minutes into this and I'm thinking, one, I wish I could go back in time and, and she would wear different shoes. Again, don't hear any judgment from me. It's no judgment from me because I've never, I've never had to wear uncomfortable shoes. I am socially allowed to, even in a preaching environment, to wear red, very comfortable tennis shoes up here. No one says anything to me about it at all, right? I, I, I get it. I wish she had worn different shoes. What good does that do me in that moment to wish that she had worn different shoes? Nothing, because that's not where we are. I also wish we had taken an Uber, either to the restaurant or from the restaurant. That's what I, that, those, that's where my brain is. That's where my brain is. And neither of those things are productive or helpful in that moment. I can't go back. I can't go back. This is where I am. So if, if this passage is speaking to anything, it's not talking about losing salvation. If anything, it kind of speaks to this thing that was common for me growing up where people would come to faith in Jesus and then they, something bad would happen and then they would make some kind of new profession of faith and we called it rededication. I'm going re- to rededicate. And it was like people were kind of living or people who kind of have like what we call like a camp experiences. I, had, I, I started here and then it was good and then it got bad and so I've got to start over by going back to camp again or I've got to start over by walking down the aisle again and re-proclaim. Re- like I, I'm, I'm trying to start over rather than dealing with the situation that I'm currently in. How did I get here and how do I move forward? So he says this really strongly. And again, we're going to see in the, in the verse right after this that I think that he understands that he said this incredibly, in, in, a, in a very strong way. And again, I'm not, I'm not denying any of that. But I think it's because... I mean, he's clearly frustrated. He's frustrated with them. Because there are some of them, it would seem, that are just allowing themselves to just kind of stay in this place where, in this constant state of, do I really, do I really need Jesus or not? And then he's looking at him, he's like, well, what do you guys think you're going to do? You think you can just, you just start over? You can't, you can't start over. And again, I don't want you to hear I don't want to hear them saying that somehow that if you've made some mistakes that God's not going to accept you anymore. Well, it says you can't be led back to repentance. Again, that's a moment in time. You can't be led back to that initial moment. Of course, of course God still loves you. Of course still God wants you because your position with God was never built on what you do anyway. And I think, in fact, the way that we see that passage that makes us think, oh, if I fall away, God's going to reject me, goes back to the problem with the original premise. That we think our status with God is based on what we do, and it's not. But you also can't live in this cycle of where I'm just going to just kind of kind of just kind of keep starting over. Because even if you could, you'll just keep ending up 
back in this same place unless we can be real about where we are. What got me here? What got me here? Is it a fear and anxiety? Is it, is, it, is it a misunderstanding about who Jesus is? Is it a sin that has entered my life? Is it a bad habit that's entered my life? Is it some good habits have fled my life? Is it a relational conflict? Is it something someone did to me? Is it something I did to someone? And, and what is the reality of this situation? Do I understand the basics of the gospel? Because that's got a lot of us stuck because you don't. Am I, can I be real about the situation that I'm in and not clamor for some new beginning that doesn't exist, but a, re, a reality check about where I currently am? And so then this is what the author says. So we go back to the first one. We'll start back in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 6. So this is what he says after the, the, the milk and the, the solid food thing. Verse 1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. He says, there's all these things that you have to explain to somebody to get them to understand, hey, I was lost I was without Jesus and now I have Jesus. There's all these things that you need to understand. And I got, I, he's, not, he's not saying that we need to move past them. But we need, to move, we need to move forward beyond just simply having to explain again. This is how, this is how a relationship with God, here's how, here's how it even works. Here's how it even works. Here's how we even get there. We, we, we got, we've got to move forward, not past, not beyond, like not to the point where like the gospel doesn't matter anymore. It's the foundation. We've got to, we've got to build on it. And then he says, you know, the thing about falling away. And then in verse nine, he follows that up with this. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. I love that because again, again, it's important for you to understand. He's clearly not telling them that they are hopeless and have fallen away and are not without repentance. I mean, he's not talking about that. He's not saying that they're hopeless. You're obviously, because he's hopeful. Because here's the thing. I'm convinced that you're not going to allow yourself to be stuck. I'm convinced that you're not just going to allow yourself to continue to drift. In fact, I'm very optimistic about you. I'm convinced for better things for you. And God is not unjust he will not forget the work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Again, God hasn't forgotten about you. He's not done with you. Don't allow yourself to get stuck in one of these weird places that my relationship is based on what I, on what, on what I do or that if I don't do this, God's gonna be upset with me. If I fall away, I'm, my, my situation is hopeless. It's not any of that. I'm optimistic for you and God sees you. And we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. You shouldn't stay where you are. You can't go back. There is only forward. There's only forward. And he's optimistic. He's optimistic that even though they seem to continue to forget the critical aspects of the gospel, 
And because of that, it seems like sin just kind of keeps creeping into their life and they don't know how to overcome it. They don't know how to really connect with the power that God and his spirit have to help you really be an overcomer of sin to really have capital L life. They just, they, they don't seem to know. They, they, they keep going back. You can't go back. You gotta go forward. And I'm optimistic because God sees you and he loves you and he knows your heart and he sees what you're doing and he sees the way that you love people well and he sees the way that you help. He sees this. And he, he wants great things for you. And I want great things for you. I want you to be someone who is an overcomer of sin, who heals from the past hurts, who shakes off bad habits and new sins and revitalizes the spiritual life to bring back in the good habits that help propel us forward. I want you to have this foundation of the gospel. I want you to understand the power of God's spirit in you to help you grow and connect. I want you to have that absolute assurance that comes from a real understanding of the gospel. And I want you to build on top of that the things that you need to help you be a, a, a better spouse, a better friend, a better parent, a better student, a better, a, a better employee, a better person. A person who can bring tangible expressions of love and hope to a world that needs it. A person that can go out into their, in their spheres of influence and say, come with me to my church on Easter and hear about the love and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He wants that for them. I want that for you. You want that for you. And he's got more to say. We've got to continue on. It's kind of like, well, then what are these things? How do I build on this? He does have more to say. But for us, it starts right here. It starts right here with, I remember the gospel. I remember. I remember what it means that Jesus Christ died for me. And I fully understand that his death on the cross for me allowed me to be in relationship with God. It, it, it allowed me to be forgiven and to be in a new relationship, to be an adopted son or daughter of God. And the freedom that I have with that, that knowing that my relationship with God is secure, then allows me to build a better hope and a better future. So I don't know if you would say that you're stuck right now. And if, you're, and if you do, I mean, there's lots of reasons why you could be. But let's make a commitment together. We're not, I'm, we're not, we're not gonna stay there. We're not gonna stay there anymore. And we're not gonna get st stuck and lost in the idea that somehow I can go back in time. Or get stuck in kind of the anxious hopelessness of I wish I had done things differently. But instead, together, let's go forward with the foundation of the gospel in our life and allowing God through his spirit to build on top of that the tools, the hope, and the power that we need to live the life that God has called us to. Let's pray. 
Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast, and you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover in our sermon podcast or just in other issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast. It's on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.